AM 1600 KIVA and ABQ.FM here for Straight Talk with Jeff Candelaria. Glad to be here with you each and every Saturday afternoon, 1 p.m., right here in the Kiva, bringing you the Straight Talk like only Jeffrey Candelaria can do. As always, if you want to go ahead and uh, be a fan of the station, all you have to do is go to rockoftalk.com. Jeff, bring it in. Good afternoon. How are you, sir? Thank you, Eddie Otagon, for once again sponsoring or, excuse me, producing the show every Saturday, uh, 1 to 2 p.m. on Kiva, 1600 a.m. Don't forget to download the Rock of Talk app on your smartphone. Once again, Eddie, thank you again for producing the show. This uh, next hour, I'm going to be introducing one of the most interesting topics in my lifetime. I think in 1974, it's St. Charles, or actually I was a, a freshman at, at uh, St. Pius. I read Chariot of the Gods by Kurt von Donegan, and it changed my life, and it made me extraordinarily interested in our next topic. With me for the next hour is international, not just nationally, but internationally recognized researcher and historian of UFOs, Mr. David Marler, who actually lives in Albuquerque and has an enormous library of material uh, that coincides with this uh, particular topic. David Marler, welcome to Straight Talk with Jeffrey Candelaria. It's great to be with you, Jeffrey. Thank you for this opportunity. And as I mentioned, I, I've ha- I have this fascination with the topic uh, because it combines science and physics with, uh, you know, something that I did as a kid, rocketry, you know, just looking into space, celestial objects, all of that. It combines all these different uh, fascinating uh, topics into one thing called the study of UFOs, ufology. And before we, you know, get into some of the specifics, and we're going to focus on the June 25, 2021 uh, UFO UAP report released by the Pentagon, uh, give us a little background about you and, uh, your presence in Albuquerque and some of the research that you do along this topic. Sure. Uh, just uh, briefly, uh, born and raised outside of St. Louis, Missouri uh, in the 1970s, and uh, UFOs were a hot topic. Uh, Walter Cronkite would have stories on uh, the nightly news, uh, along with many of the other newscasters, and lots of newspaper reports and sightings. And the media at that time really took the subject quite differently than maybe in the 80s and the 90s as we progressed. And uh, it's interesting, though, uh, there was a, a wave of sightings outside of St. Louis uh, to the southeast in a small town called Piedmont, Missouri. And uh, many witnesses to this event, including relatives of my father. Uh, my father grew up there and then later moved to St. Louis. But the sightings, uh, as you can imagine, garnered a lot of uh, media attention. Newspaper, television, uh, camera crews were going down there interviewing uh, purported UFO witnesses and I remember the excitement of my father and my older siblings piling in the car with thermoses of coffee and binoculars to go down to Piedmont to quote-unquote look for UFOs. That was the first time at, at five years old uh, that I remember hearing the term UFO and the excitement surrounding that. And, you know, growing up in the 70s, there were a number of other uh, prominent UFO sightings uh, involving multiple witnesses, police officers, military individuals, and my father always instilled in me kind of that curiosity, that sense of wonder, but temper that with skepticism, as I've always tried to do with regard to the subject. Uh, you know, people that meet me and ta- speak with me, much as yourself, uh, find that I'm actually quite skeptical. I just don't accept every UFO story that comes along. Yeah, and that's why I've been fascinated with your interpretation of this topic, not only because you're accessible to me and you live in Albuquerque, but I've been to your home. I've seen that vast 
uh, repository of material you have, but you approach the topic of ufology in, in, in kind of a scientific or cynical way, meaning you, you're, you're demanding empirically verifiable data proof material before you leap into just accepting, uh, you know, the topic in and of itself. Uh, so what I'm saying is you're not a tinfoil hat guy, <laughs> and I am trying to be respectful. Again, sure. my, my guest is international recognized uh, UFOlogist David Marler, who lives actually in our midst in Albuquerque, and you've been spotlighted or highlighted on, on numerous television programs on national uh, broadcast networks, including uh, in, with the, the Science Channel, the History Channel, uh Australia, mm-hmm. but again, you approach this topic in a very pragmatic, scientific, cynical way, which is the way science is supposed to work when they when they're researching a topic. Is Abs- that right? Absolutely. The one thing that I try to avoid is this word belief. You know, many people say I believe in UFOs. Well, that's great. As an individual, you have that right. I really try to suspend uh, any type of belief or disbelief in the subject. And to your point, simply follow the evidence and let it take it. You know where it leads and uh, we follow the information uh, 90% I can tell you right off the bat of UFO sightings are typically some type of prosaic explanation yeah. satellites aircraft refueling operations meteors uh, but it's that 5 to 10% uh, of those cases that even the military historically conceded they could not explain and so it's those that seem to defy conventional prosaic explanation that we're interested in yeah well look at it like this and I've always talked to skeptics even if one even if one incident is is true or has been true whether it was Roswell Socorro 1965 uh, Arizona whether it's the Nimitz we'll talk about if if just one episode or one incident is true that means it is true absolutely and it's yeah. it's probably the biggest story ever the biggest story ever so the other thing that's interesting and i think the our listeners again Jeffrey Candelaria straight talk with Jeffrey Candelaria with David Marler UFO uh, international recognized researcher. New Mexico itself is really a really interesting, I don't like to use the word Mecca, but if you think about it, nuclear energy was invented here. Rocketry, the Goddard in the 20s uh, here, uh, the first astronauts, uh, Mercury astronauts, 1960, 59, including Glenn, Shepard, others, trained here in Albuquerque. You've got the labs here. Of course, you have Socorro, Roswell incident. New Mexico is, forgive the word Mecca, but for this topic, this is one of the, 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 the places of interest on the globe. Is that is that fair? It's fair, and it touches on an aspect that myself and other researchers have looked at, namely there does appear to be some type of correlation between advanced military weapons and development, and specifically nuclear weapons and nuclear storage facilities, and UFOs. Yeah. And I have original newspaper clippings going back to the uh, late 40s, early 50s, where scientists and security personnel at Los Alamos National Laboratories were reporting at that time what the term was, quote-unquote, flying saucers. Yeah. Well, it makes sense that if you're, gonna, if you're a, an entity or a civilization from someplace else, that you would study the height of an alien, and their, from their perspective, we'd be alien, uh, civilization and their technology. The height of that technology is rocketry, nuclear energy, uh, you know, aircraft, so an army base, 
those kinds of things make sense. In other words, you're going to study maybe a worm, but you're going to put a lot more energy on a chimpanzee Absolutely. than you would a worm, right, in terms of, of, of scrutiny, uh, study, observation. So it makes a lot of sense. And it's interesting because of that, much of the UFO information we have from, say, the 1950s and the 60s are not just derived from newspaper accounts or tabloid media. They're derived from the uh, military and government's own declassified documents yeah. describing military witnesses and not just sightings. And I think it's important to touch on this, Jeffrey. We're not just talking about sightings. We're talking about visual observations by trained military personnel corroborated with radar yeah. in many cases. Yeah, And we're going to get into that right now. One of the watershed moments, if not the watershed moment in the study, the, 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 the debate, the fascination, even as a hobby or otherwise, with UFOs, uh, that technology was June 21st, 2021. Yeah. So there was this report released by the Pentagon, our U.S. government, and talk about that report and why that's such a salient cogent watershed moment in the construct of UFO research. Absolutely. Well, the uh, 2021 uh, Senate Intelligence Authorization Act was signed by uh, President Trump before he left office in December of last year. And one of the provisions put in there by the Senate Intelligence Committee was that they requested any and all information uh, pertaining to UFOs or the nomenclature that they use within military and government circles is now UAP, Unidentified Aerial Phenomena. And uh, there was a provision uh, under committee comments buried at the very end of this lengthy report requesting this information. And uh, as you can appreciate, given the decades-long denials and sidesteps with regard to trying to get UFO information from official sources, uh, we were somewhat skeptical in the UFO field. But to your point, June 25th, uh, 2021, Lo and behold, we get a preliminary assessment on unidentified aerial phenomena released to the general public. Now, to be clear, this is an unclassified, watered-down report that was made available to the general public. There's something with a lot more substance that we're not seeing, obviously, for, for security reasons sure. in many cases. But what's interesting about this document, to your point, is this was a game-changing moment with regard to the subject. This was official validation of the phenomenon. And I don't think we can emphasize that point enough. Yeah. Official U.S. DOD sources acknowledging this phenomena, whatever it is, is real. So what we're saying, our audience needs to understand what this really means in the most pragmatic of terms. That is, our government, the Pentagon, admitted in June of this year that there is aircraft or phenomenon that is unknown to our technology that cannot be explained. Its origins can't be explained either. And it is the true recognition by our government that UFO, uh, that, that UFOs exist. Absolutely. And before we continue down this, this conversation, I, I think it's important to note for those that might be listening that are skeptical with regard to the subject, we're not evoking tales of space aliens right. and those types of things that m many people attribute to the subject. We have to understand that this is coming from the Pentagon and that uh, official agencies within the government are looking at this purely from a defense standpoint. They're looking at it from a threat assessment standpoint. Yeah. And ironically enough, it, you know, if history is prologue, the past is prologue, we saw this play out with 
previous investigations on the part of the United States Air Force with regard to the subject uh, via Project Blue Book back in the 1950s and the 1960s. Again, analyzing this mystery, and it is a mystery to this day, Jeffrey. Uh, I, after 31 years, I don't know what we're dealing with with regard yeah. to this. Uh, I have lots of data, but not a lot of answers. Yeah. Um, they're looking at this because we don't know where it's coming from. We don't know where they're going to when they disappear. We don't know why they're here. And we have a fundamental aspect uh, of trying to deal with what physics is allowing these things to move through the atmosphere with exotic flight characteristics that vastly exceed any, any known terrestrial technology. My guest, David Marler, international recognized UFO researcher, Jeffrey Candel- uh, Candelaria, straight talk with Jeffrey Candelaria. Uh, don't forget we're with you every Saturday from 1 to 2 p.m. on 1600 a.m. Kiva. And there are just so many angles by which we can review this topic. We haven't even talked about the physics. So the, some people are motivated by understanding or wanting to, to learn the physics of this phenomenon. Others are interested in the motivation. Others are interested in what do they look like, whatever that means. But in, in any case, the fact that the Pentagon just a few months ago admitted there is this phenomenon that we just don't know about in terms of motivation, physics, or what, you know, again, they look like, whatever. I mean, that's astonishing that it finally has been given the credence that people like me and you for 20, 30 years always believed it was due. Right. And our own government finally admitted that. So the next obvious question is, you want to you want to give some context and backstory? Sure. And then I want to talk about why now did the Pentagon admit that there is such a thing as as, as the UFO phenomenon. Absolutely. This really goes back to December 2017 with the release of a New York Times article that uh, revealed that there was a top-secret Pentagon UFO program that had been going on for several years. And later, the gentleman that headed that program, Mr. Lou Elizondo, has come forward and been in a number of documentaries along with myself talking about the subject matter um, and it was really kind of a bombshell revelation. One, to hear this, but to hear it through the New York Times, you know, a fairly reputable <laughs> newspaper. It's not, we're not talking National Enquirer. Sure. And so that really made some eyebrows go up. And in addition to the release of that article with information pertaining to this program, which was called ATIP, uh, it, was, it, it was the uh, Advanced Aerial Threat Identification Program. Uh, and Again, a government-sanctioned a taxpayer dollar uh, department, if you will, whose job it was to study UFOs, you know, in the most serious possible sober way I can imagine. Absolutely. And they called it ATIP for one reason, which I'll explain. In addition, they also changed the terminology of the subject matter, i.e. UFOs. They don't reference them as UFOs. They call them UAPs, Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon. That was for two reasons. One, to get away from the stigma that that term UFO, the baggage that it carries, yes. you know, the giggle factor. But also, it was a very practical reason for doing that. They did that intentionally, and they do this with a lot of government military programs. You name something, something that no one's going to think of because you can't file a FOIA request for it. Fascinating. Okay. If we don't know they're calling them UAP, we're going to be filing FOIA requests, Freedom of Information Act requests, on UFO documents. Yeah. Well, if you put in for UFO... UAP is not going to be a blip on that search radar. It's an interesting so, point. So there's a practical so, reason for so doing that. So even keeping a topic even more clandestine or surreptitious 
you define it or government def- gives it a different nomenclature. You rename it, you rebrand it, and, and then... And, and the average person looking up, you know, is there a Bigfoot or whatever. Oh, I just, I just uh, uh, turned off my phone, live radio. Um, so that's interesting. So there was even a motivation to reclassify or rename UFOs, UAPs, for, for to, to keep it even more clandestine. Absolutely, absolutely. Wow. So you know, it, it's interesting. You know, regardless of what you call it, right? It's still the same phenomenon that they're yeah. trying to to analyze and look at. But what's interesting is, in addition to the New York Times article that broke in December 2017, we also had the release of a a video uh, from uh, DoD sources from an F-18 uh, a Super Hornet that video recorded uh, a, a UAP, a UFO. And uh, in addition to that, we had two additional DOD videos that were released that have been uh, fairly prominent on YouTube and on the Internet and on UFO documentaries. But what's interesting is, unlike YouTube videos you're used to watching, where you don't know the provenance, where the video came from, we did know where these videos came from. And they were coming from uh, highly trained Top Gun naval pilots that had been encountering these things. Captured on radar, too. Captured on radar, uh, on the Aegis radar system, which is one of the more advanced radar systems, circa 2004, uh, when the Nimitz incident occurred off the coast of California. And in that particular case, uh, they saw what was described as, and we call it, the Tic Tac UFO. Now, for a moment, just visualize that, a Tic Tac. You have no visible means of lift. You have no wings. You have no vertical stabilizer. You have no heat signature. And that's an important aspect, Jeffrey, I think we need to touch on. These were not just simply camcorder or iPhone videos people were shooting. They were shooting this with advanced FLIR technology, forward-looking infrared. So we're not only seeing the object, we're looking for heat signatures. Temperature. Temperature. Yeah. And these objects were completely devoid of any heat signature. And, and based on everything we know about aerodynamics and physics, this particular uh, phenomenon captured on radar, captured on film by a state-of-the-art plane in 2004 just off of San Diego, state-of-the-art aircraft carrier, defies any known aerodynamic physics that we know in the human condition. Absolutely, and these things were pulling excessive G-force. These things were going supersonic, yet not generating a sonic boom. And what's interesting is, for most people that may be new to the subject, they're hearing this and they're thinking, wow, that's incredible. It's not that incredible for people that have been looking at UFO cases like myself for over 30 years. We have the same characteristics that have been documented in other UFO reports. So that's one of the most compelling things that fuels and continues to drive me with the subject, Jeffrey, is there seem to be or appear to be patterns in the data that's suggestive, not conclusive, but suggestive of a real phenomenon. Yeah. My guest is David Marlar. He is an international UFO researcher and historian. Jeffrey Candelaria, straight talk with... Jeffrey Candelaria, I've, I've always just been fascinated by this topic because I can't think of anything more outstandingly cogent as a story in the history of mankind. I mean, I, I guess you could say Jesus' birth, perhaps Muhammad, uh, perhaps uh, the uh, invention of nu- nuclear, uh, you know, nuclear energy. But I think this, in my humble opinion, is the biggest story in mankind. And why do you think that particular data, that that particular, you know, recording of a UFO is such a watershed moment. Is it because it's so credible by the military? Is in and it's so undeniable that the 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 
the physics of this 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 thing is defying anything we know in terms of science and aerodynamics is that what do you think why is it why was that particular footage when we've got footage of all kinds of craft over the last 60 years or all however long we've had you know cameras and footage why this particular footage why was it so salient I think because the number of witnesses that were involved, uh, and we have to keep in mind to provide some context, these objects have been tracked on their Aegis radar systems for a number of days leading up to this particular event. Uh, David Fravor was the naval pilot that was directed to try to get a visual ID on this object after it had been picked up on radar. And uh, for a number of days leading up to this, they were detecting them, but they could never get any military assets close enough, or they didn't have anything in close proximity to get there to ID it. This one happened to appear on radar very close to a military operations area where they were doing military exercises. And so we had the opportunity and seized upon it to direct Fravor and his co-pilot to basically visually ID this, which they did. And, you know, to the skeptics out there, there's been a lot of people nitpicking these cases where they focus on the FLIR imagery and question the technology or maybe it's an aberration. But the thing we need to keep in mind Multiple sensing apparatus were recording these objects at the same time qualified military personnel on a beautiful picturesque day off the California coast visually saw this object. Yeah. And it was moving around in a very erratic nonlinear movement. In other words, kind of a zigzag, herky-jerk motion. It then moved up towards him, towards David Fravor and his jet, and then disappeared like a bullet. Yeah, and completely disappeared. So to your point again, Jeffrey Candelari with David Marler, it it not only defied aerodynamics, it also defied configuration too. Absolutely. So I guess they're both interrelated. But you're talking about you know everybody knows a Chevron, you know configuration of a jet aircraft, and it's got to have an airfoil, and you've got to have thrust, and you've got to have intake, and you know uh, it can only mo- it can only move a certain way. A jet can only move. Absolutely. Certain There's certain patterns. limitations. So this defied all the above and more. Absolutely. And what's interesting is when it disappeared, it then reappeared on radar. Now, mind you, this is all playing out. So you have people on board the, the, the USS Princeton, which had the Aegis radar system, and the rest of the, the, the carrier strike group that was out there. You have the pilot, and you have all this data that they're collecting on this, including the visual imagery. Uh, when the object disappears, moments later the pilot is then notified that this object is at your cap point. The cap point was a secret rendezvous location in the sky where the jets would rendezvous and link up with each other after the military exercise. Somehow, this object, or whoever or whatever was controlling it, the intelligence behind it, if you will, knew, had the cognition to recognize that's where they were going to be going. So it knew the mission endpoint. Absolutely. It not only defied all the aerodynamics and physics we just talked about, but it also knew uh, the most secret destination of that particular sortie or mission of those aircraft in 2004 off the coast of San Diego. So that's in and of itself astonishing. Yeah. It, 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 as, as the pilot stated in, in a number of interviews after this, uh, once the, the this case was revealed to the general public in 2017, uh, it was clear that they did not have air superiority. Yeah. So the reason this is important for just even the average person is the military now has to recognize that there is a technology that is perhaps 500 years to 1,000 years beyond where we're at 
and we don't know the motivation, but it knows our mission's secrets. Absolutely. So, I mean, absolutely. lots of reasons and, for the military to be concerned. And obviously, because of that military concern, you get back to what I alluded to earlier with threat assessment. You go down your list, uh, your cast of characters, if you will, right? The usual suspects. Could this be Korea? Could this be the Russians? Could this be the Chinese? And much like any UFO investigation we undertake, Jeffrey, we don't have extraterrestrial or alien as the first choice. It's the last choice. But in looking at the apparent physics by which these craft operate, by looking at the, the vast leap in technology, and I'm talking not only speed, but the ability to you know hover, rapidly accelerate, transmedium flight is another interesting aspect. Now, what transmedium flight means, we, they have been able to track objects going from the atmosphere into space, from space into the atmosphere, from the atmosphere into the ocean, from the ocean into the atmosphere. Yeah. So there, this technology is so far advanced, relatively speaking, it'd be like a catapult, you know, in 1200 A.D. trying to compromise a castle. Right. Uh, versus a laser beam, light amplified stimulated emission radiation. I believe that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, that, that's about how far advanced or more this technology is. Yeah, and I do want to mention that I do know some individuals that are working very closely with the Pentagon that have been part of this gradual disclosure, if you want to use that word, of information. So I do have some connection with you know those that are on the inside no. dealing with this. So I feel like I can speak with some authority in that regard, although I'm certainly not <laughs> privy to all the classified information that still exists. But um, there is serious concern because... If we do have objects of unknown origin that are violating our uh, not only controlled military airspace, but controlled commercial airspace. And I say that uh, for a very specific reason. February 21st, 2021, right here in New Mexico, if we want to bring it a little closer to home, the subject matter, American Airlines flight uh, nearly collided with an unknown object that flew right over him. They described it as looking like a cruise missile. And I filed a FOIA request to try to get information from the FAA. Freedom, of, Freedom of Information. Freedom of Information Act. And uh, they stated that they delayed me on two or three occasions, stated they were collecting data from four separate locations that had information pertinent to it. And then uh, within about a month or so ago, I received a, a, a decline for my FOIA stating that if data existed, it might be part of a federal investigation by uh, intelligence agencies but we can't confirm that there is an investigation. Yeah. So, you know, we get the, so the typical got, you, double talk. you got a standard, your decline. Absolutely. And we don't need to tell you the reason. But I want to just mention that because that underscores that this isn't just occurring in California. Yeah. This is occurring here in New Mexico, and not just with military aircraft, but with commercial aircraft. Jeffrey Candelari with internationally recognized UFO researcher and historian David Marler. And remember, folks listening, David has actual contact with some of the most high-level people that have spent their careers studying this phenomenon, including, and we'll talk about these folks a little later, but Christopher Mellon, uh, Lou Elizondo, uh, you met uh, personally with uh, with uh, Stanton Friedman mm-hmm. uh, yeah. before. So this isn't, you're just not some guy trying to write a book and, and you're dabbling in this. This is something that... I mean, you've really dedicated your resource a lot of your life to. Absolutely. In fact, uh, it's funny uh, you bring that up because in December of last year, as I mentioned, Trump signed the in, uh, Intelligence Authorization Act for 2021, which allocated 
money for continued UAP investigations, which hopefully we'll touch on here momentarily as far as where we're at today with the subject. Um, but what was interesting is I got a call from RTVI, Russian Television News, and they wanted me to discuss what was going on and the anticipation and what should we expect. And, uh, you know, I'm not an intelligence expert, but I know one. Yeah. And so I called him up, Mr. Christopher Mellon, who you alluded to. Sure. And he was the former Assistant Secretary of Defense for Intelligence, third highest ranking civilian position within the Pentagon. And he was looking into the subject when he was at the Pentagon. Yeah. And he's been very instrumental in what we're seeing today. He's been to your home in Albuquerque. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And we'll probably be making a future visit here very soon yeah. again. Um, but Chris and I have a mutual respect for each other because he, like myself, takes the subject very seriously, yeah. tries to be objective, suspends belief or disbelief, yeah. and simply evaluates the the evidence. Um, but uh, you know, Chris has conceded that you know this the subject needs to be taken seriously, yeah. and uh, for for someone in his position to have such solemnity towards the subject and to dedicate the time and energy that he has. Uh, that's that speaks volumes. Uh, there are people within government circles that are taking the subject quite seriously. You know, and, and for our listeners within earshot of Straight Talk with Jeffrey Candelaria, we're very fortunate to have you as a resource in Albuquerque because, I mean, you're an internationally recognized researcher in this regard. And I know you were just interviewed for an hour on Australian TV, right? In yes. June? Yes, yes, for the phenomenon. Yeah, Network 7, uh, the phenomenon production with Ross And you Coulter. were also on, because I... Before I I met you because I, I I I watch pretty you know ardently religiously uh, no no strange invocation intended uh, you know these these shows about UFO research and many of them are very credible very right. sober very scientific way of approaching the topic and you're typically a featured uh, guest on many of these programs, national programs. I, I am, and I, I would love just to state for the record that for every one you see me on, I probably turn down seven or eight producers for other shows, because yeah. uh, equally so, there's some very non-credible, sensationalistic productions that are twisting the facts. And you know, I think we need to be as honest with ourselves as well as our audience when it comes to the subject. Yeah, I'm interested in, because I've always looked at this topic, there's three three ways of looking at it one is the hardware the physics of it two the motivation and three what do they look like and 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 i'm not trying to be flippant when i say what do they look like right i'm not that interested in what they look like i'm more interested in motivation and the physics of it just because i used to build little rockets and whatever and so that's always been my interest in Mm -hmm. the topic you know just the the fascination with the technology and motivation again we don't know the motivation. And the Pentagon, our government, which is the very apogee of, I guess you'd say, institution in our, last I checked, a planet, planet Earth, other than the Biden administration. That's me editorializing. Notwithstanding, our government just admitted we don't know the motivation and we don't know the technology. And how often do you have any government agency or official stand up and state we don't know doesn't happen doesn't happen because of what i call government institutional ego but it's so undeniable and you talked about that earlier offline because the volume of sightings has increased almost exponentially right yeah we have to ask the fundamental question that really is behind all of this why now has the pentagon the department of defense taken a complete 180 with regard to the historical approach that they've had towards the subject 
denying it, debunking it, spreading disinformation, uh, maligning those people. Ridicule. Ridicule uh, with regard to UFO witnesses historically. Why now are we having this fundamental shift in philosophy and approach towards the subject? I think that's the most important question that many UFO researchers aren't even asking. And uh, I think, if I may just go out on a limb here, uh, I believe based on uh, 2019 statements by one of the Navy spokesmen, they stated that they are formulating official policy and procedures for Navy personnel to report UFOs or UAPs uh, so that they can start collecting this information. And that's a very positive move as opposed to sticking our heads in the sand and pretending this doesn't exist just because our own personal beliefs don't fall in line with the fact that these things may be real. But what's interesting about that is the Navy spokesman, and your listeners can look this up online, they stated the reason they're doing this is due to the increased frequency of UAP activity near sensitive military operations areas. And I think, and it's supposition on my part, but I believe that what they're seeing is a, a huge increase in overall UFO, UAP activity. And I think if it continues along that trend, they realize we cannot keep this under wraps. And rather than the tail wagging the dog, they need to get ahead of the message and at least start to prepare society for the, the you know revelation that these things are real. So another way of putting it is it's so self-evident, it's so obvious that we, the government, has to, we have to get ahead of the story. Yeah, that's, that's what I feel. Again, okay. I could be completely wrong, but I, I'm only basing that based on the Navy spokesman and their own statement. David Marler, internationally recognized UFO researcher and historian, lives right here in Albuquerque. I've been to his home. He's got an enormous library repository of material on the topic that he's amassed. Uh, that covers over the last, what, 70 years on, on this topic? Going on 75, actually. Next 75 year. years? Yeah. Jeffrey Candelaria, straight talk with Jeffrey Candelaria. Excuse me. My theory, my supposition is, and it it also wraps into yours, so it's a hybrid. I believe it's the increased volume, the undeniability of the obviousness of UFOs or UAPs. UAP. UAPs. I have a hard time getting used to that myself. (laughs) Remember the Brookings Institute think tank over the last 50 years did all these studies? Would mankind be too upset if we, the government, admits that we're not alone in the solar system, galaxy, universe. And their their summary was, or conclusion was, yes, it would be too difficult for mankind to reconcile religion, ego, whatever. It would be too upsetting. Well, my theory is people are so distracted with Facebook, Twitter, taking pictures of their salad for lunch you know taking 29 selfies at disneyland i don't think people really care i mean think about it the most important moment or story in the history of mankind in my opinion was revealed in june of this year and nobody cared yeah i'm not gonna say no one cared right but i thought it would have been it didn't garner the attention that it should have. absolutely so i think it's a combination of people are so distracted with their stupid little facebook and Twitter, and we're watching, you know, reruns of, you know, Seinfeld, <laughs> that nobody cared. And to your point, it's undeniable. I think it's a hybrid. 
Yeah. Is yeah. that fair? Is no, that fair? No, it, it is absolutely fair. And what's interesting is, as I mentioned uh, earlier, it's a complete 180 from where we were. And just, just, I just want to give uh, your audience one example of this. One of the lines from the uh, Pentagon report in June was, UAP clearly pose a safety of flight issue and may pose a challenge to U.S. national security. Now, juxtapose that statement to one of the conclusions of Air Force Project Blue Book when they decided to shut it down in December 69, they stated that UFOs do not constitute a threat to national security. Wow. That's just one contradiction from where we were versus where we are today. Well, it's, it's, it could be more antithetical and reverse of what the Pentagon just admitted now. It's astonishing. It's now, astonishing. What's also amazing about this is uh, comparing, contrasting those two statements. The majority of the work being done on UAPs, UFOs now, are done by the Navy, Office of Naval Intelligence. Okay. Compared to traditionally Air Force. Air Force. Yeah. Is that a function of the UFOs that have really been recognized as credible, obvious technology we aren't aware of, motivation we're not aware of? probably extra, extraterrestrial, they're transmembrane, uh, you know, capable, meaning they can go from space to atmosphere to the ocean. Is that part of it, do you think? Absolutely. In fact, I, I, I have a... And explain what that means. Oh, sure, as far as the transmedium? Yeah, transmedium. Yeah, yeah absolutely. We have, uh, on one of the DoD videos that were just recently released, we have an object that's seen slowly moving over the surface of the ocean on, again, a FLIR uh, camera, forward-looking infrared. The object hovers there momentarily. It looks like just a circle or an orb. And you can hear the Navy personnel talking about tracking it and, you know, making sure they, they keep it in focus. And as they're watching it just hover above the water, it suddenly drops fast directly into the water. And you hear the Navy personnel say, splash, splash, mark bearing and range. So not only have we had these objects on the part of military observed in, in the air and tracked by radar, we have a number of USOs, unidentified submersible objects, that have tripped sonar buoys in the Pacific and elsewhere. Yeah where the Navy has been able to track these things. And, no surprise, like what we see in the air, these unidentified submersible objects are going hundreds of knots faster than any known submarine that we or that we know that the Russians have. Yeah. So think about the viscosity of a salted ocean and a submarine traveling maybe 40 miles an hour. You, we don't have a technology to travel faster than that. These things seem to move with impunity through any type of atmosphere. So, listeners, just think about this phenomenon on the basis of, and for the last 30 years, depending on how old you are, 20 years, 10, whatever, it's always been, you know, atmospheric movement or space, space movement, right? Spatial movement, moving from one place. Point A to point B. Point B in space and in, in our atmosphere, which has a certain viscosity, if you will. Well, nothing like the ocean. No. And this phenomenon can traverse space, atmosphere, and ocean. And that's something that I think is relatively new to those of us that are interested in this phenomenon, is the, the submersible, the, the being able to move it in the ocean, I guess, is what I'm clumsily trying to talk Absolutely. about. Absolutely. And what we're touching on today is just the tip of the iceberg, Jeffrey. The Pentagon report alludes to a number of military UFO, UAP occurrences. No. And again, if this was Russian, Chinese, or Korean, 
do we really think they're going to have such advanced technology and just do a little parade around our naval yeah. vessels? I, I think that they would use it for much more offensive capabilities. And that's why I think those of us that are reasonable thinkers and pragmatic thinkers and approach this with some cynicism and are very sober about the topic, it's probably not Russia, China, Germany, France, whatever, uh, because keep in mind, it was the United States that invented nuclear energy first. Absolutely. And sent man to the moon first. So this technology, if it, if it is one of our foes, would have to not only catch up to us, but leapfrog us in you know 100 2 3 4 500 years into the future so it's probably likely that this phenomenon is not of this planet well it's interesting uh, the report rightly so tries to be as objective as possible as far as trying to attribute any explanation to this phenomenon that they're they're clearly encountering recording documenting filming uh but one other passage in the report which i think is one of the most telling statements it states we currently lack data to indicate any UAP are part of a foreign collection program or indicative of a major technological advancement by a potential adversary. Yeah. yeah. And the, and it's so, that, again, the Pentagon is admitting that if a foreign country who, you know, obviously is our adversary and has that technology that's that far advanced, don't you think they would have taken advantage of us well, and, by then with that technology? And the fact that we have zero intel to support that, yeah. that's an extremely telling statement. That's buried in this report. That's an excellent point. And I know people that, that dabble in this phenomenon and, and, and study it or are amateurish in, in, in the way they begin to view the topic. Even those people are beginning to recognize that it's not just the Roswell incident anymore at all. No. We get way too hung up on... Yeah. On Roswell, would you agree? Uh, I agree. Uh, Ro- uh, you know, w- with all respect to those that are uh, believers in the Roswell incident, it's the quicksand. You get mired in that, and unfortunately, uh, when it comes to Roswell, and, and I've I've discussed this in le- lectures across the state and country, um, people say, "Well, I believe in Roswell." My response is, "What version?" It's yeah. been seventy-five years, and we've probably got ten to fifteen, twenty different versions of the story. Yeah. And at the end of the day, what evidence do you have to back it up? We have more evidence from that uh, Hornet 2004 off San Diego. Uh, we have more evidence of that two-minute footage absolutely, than we do all of Roswell. And, and right? it, Yes, and again, we're only seeing the tip of the iceberg. Uh, even though we have the, these DOD videos, Jeffrey, uh, it's been you know, how many years now since that the news yeah. article, 2017, the New York Times article broke? We have yet to get one official page of documentation or analysis of these videos. And so that's something that we hope, it, we being uh, collectively yeah. the UFO research community, would like to see that official documentation. Straight Talk with Jeffrey Candelaria every Saturday, 1 to 2 p.m. on Kiva 1600 AM. Thank you, Eddie Otagon, for producing the show. My guest, internationally recognized UFO researcher David Marler. That doesn't mean Roswell didn't happen. No. And there wasn't some alien craft crashed there in 47 yep. 40 was it 47 47 mm-hmm. july that doesn't mean 1980 united kingdom event didn't happen mm-hmm. travis walton 75 mm-hmm. 64 66 whatever and and i want to talk about that which is a good segue into another area of this phenomenon 
just because the tic-tac phenomenon exists doesn't mean we haven't and are not continually visited by other technology, other motivation, other extraterrestrial beings, right? Sure. It's like lots of people from around the globe study chimpanzees. Absolutely. Not just people from America. And there's a reason we call it phenomena with an A, not phenomenon. It could be multiple things. Well, the reason I make this point, I want you to really amplify it, is I think we collectively in the psyche of studying it think it's just one craft or one motivation or one, you know, they're all from Zeta Reticula. Last I checked, you know, to traverse just our galaxy would take 100,000 years if you're traveling at the speed of light. Last I checked, there's over a trillion galaxies. Absolutely. And uh, yes, it's very simplistic to attribute one explanation to this. And I think we need to be very cautious. I think we need to be open, though, to any and all possibilities. Uh, you know, you look at the advanced theoretical work of like Dr. Michio Kaku uh, and many of these uh, leading astrophysicists looking at string theory where there may be multiple dimensions that coexist. These things may not be interstellar, but interdimensional in nature. We yeah. simply don't know. Yeah. And again, Sometimes the skeptics, they, they try to you know, crucify you with these statements. I'm simply throwing these out as possibilities that we have to at least entertain. Well, the government just admitted we don't know, <laughs> they don't know. what the technology is. And I think even more importantly, the motivation. And, and something also, I, I, th- th- talking on that, uh, for decades you've had a lot of conspiracy theorists in the UFO community. And most conspiracies, I think you'll agree, Jeffrey, whether it's UFOs or otherwise, are predicated on the, the idea that the government knows and they're keeping it secret. I'm here to tell you, getting in touch with some of these senior-level people that have worked at the Pentagon and within military circles that have looked at the subject, uh, the cover-up, quote-unquote cover-up, if you will, based on my assessment, is based on lack of knowledge and ignorance, yeah. not on knowledge. They're still trying to figure out, uh, you know, you mentioned 1947, here we are in 2021, um, they're still trying to figure out what these things are. So I would uh, put a, a counter-argument. The cover-up is based on covering up their ignorance with regard to the subject, not the fact that they know all the answers. Yeah, Jeffrey Candelari, straight talk with Jeffrey Candelari with internationally recognized David Marley, UFO researcher and historian. That's not to say they don't have a lot more information they haven't you know, oh, absolutely. Re- revealed to us. Absolutely. Because I, I still think that the government, whatever that means. And, it, and it, by the way, it's not just our government that has a monopoly on this topic. Right. Could be Israel, could be France, could be Germany, could be a lot of other Soviet Union. They're all just as equally probably fascinated by this topic and equally, equally uh, curious and, and uh, what's the word I'm looking for, where they're just not aware of all the... They have no definitive answers either. Sure. So that's not to say they're... Hasn't been some reverse engineering of some of this going on mm-hmm. over the last 60 years or longer. That doesn't mean that there aren't recovered extraterrestrial beings in Ohio, New Mexico, Munich, France. But to your point, we don't know who the technology. We don't. We're not a master of it. We don't know the motivation. Yeah, you you, you can right? have you can have a crash saucer. You can have a dead alien. You can have all these materials. But if it's a hundred to two hundred years in advance, I'm being conservative. It could be a thousand years in advance of your technology. Imagine taking your smartphone back to Alexander Graham Bell and trying to tell him that that's a phone. First thing he's going to say is, where, "Where's the magneto crank?" 
to yeah. generate the electric current. And yeah. where's the wires? Well, it operates on cellular technology. Alexander Graham Bell's head's going to explode yeah. <laughs> if you're yeah. trying to explain this to him. And that's only 120 years ago. Human to human technology. And that's only 100 exactly in English with, you know, basically material of this planet. Yeah. If, underline if three times, yeah. if we're dealing with. Let's just use the term off-world. <laughs> yeah. I hate to use extraterrestrial because it evokes all that baggage along with it. If we're dealing with off-world technology, it is, by definition, alien. Yeah. And, and, and clearly in advance of ours. Another point I wanted to make along the lines of revealing the phenomenon, accepting all of us humble creatures called humankind living in Albuquerque, Alabama, Paraguay, Haiti... We have this thing called an ego. We have another thing called religion, whether it's Catholicism, whether it's uh, you know Protestantism, whether it's uh, Hindu, whether I'm not sure Buddhism is an actual religion more than a philosophy. But we have this relationship to something bigger than us called God, which I think is a distraction from death, but that's another topic. But it also disturbs, at least the Brookings Institute studies would always say it would disturb Catholics' relationship to God, mm-hmm. or you know, a Jews' relationship to God, or yeah. whatever it might be, because God only created humankind in its form, and we have to recognize God wants to be worshipped along those lines. But this is a lot bigger than that. It transcends it, it religion, is. and it can disturb possibly some people's sense of relationship to God. It is, and it's, it, it's uh, interesting that we kind of segue into religion because Pope John Paul II, before he died, actually had made a number of statements regarding extraterrestrial life. Not necessarily UFOs per se, but he stated that the uh, discovery of extraterrestrial life, sentient and extraterrestrial life, would no way invalidate the teachings of the Catholic Church. And Monsignor Balducci, who was a spokesman of the Vatican, I believe made six or seven appearances in the late 90s uh, talking about that same sentiment. And so you do seem to see this kind of sea change, if you will, where more and more people are at least embracing. Again, I, I can't I keep going back to this word, but for your audience, whether you're skeptical or you're a believer, the possibility of extraterrestrial life. And that's really what we're talking about, the possibilities. David Marler, Jeffrey Candelaria, Straight Talk with Jeffrey Candelaria. Again, the God I know is big enough to deal with the universe and any other, you know, life forms of any kind that are in this thing called the universe. That's At least that's the God I'm capable of thinking of, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. But, and I think sometimes we as Homo sapien invoke our ego and think we and planet Earth are the center of everything. Yeah. And remember Galileo was excommunicated... <laughs> Because he dared say... Yeah, I think he he disproved that. (laughs) Well, and then Copernicus and others, you know, because until about, I'm trying to remember whether it was the 15th century, right around there, the Catholic Church said, the earth is the center of the universe. Yeah, and finally we adopted the heliocentric model, right? And it was so obvious... It took a while. (laughs) ...that they finally recognized the sun is the center of our solar system. Right. And by the way, the sun's just some almost meaningless you know, middle star-sized place on the spiral arm of this place called the Milky Way. Oh, by the way, 
There's about a trillion other galaxies. Oh, by the way, there could be a trillion other universes. You know, so. and, and we could be looking at that fundamental shift in our worldview, Jeffrey, in the sense that just as much as the idea that the world, it wasn't flat, it was round, uh, that might be an interesting corollary for where we are today now with this Pentagon UFO report where we're, we're going to start looking back. Do you remember that time when people didn't believe in UFOs? Yeah. How, how naive were we? Excellent uh, point. I think it'll be interesting to see how the next uh, six months to year or two plays out as we continue. Because, again, Excellent point. the report is not an end. It's just the beginning because the report discussed the centralization and collection within intelligence circles and military circles of UFO, UAP data. Yeah. So we're, we're really at a new beginning as far as looking at the subject. And my friend Chris Mellon, who we alluded to, he made an interesting uh, uh, connection. He stated that he was frustrated when he was at the Pentagon. He realized people were collecting different bits of information, but nobody was sharing it. And I think this was a sobering analogy he made. He said, I was looking at this play out, and it, it, it reminded me of what it was like prior to 9-11, where everyone was collecting radio chatter. We knew something was afoot, but nobody was collecting and centralizing that information to make sense out of it. Yeah, I thought that was an interesting... Uh, so it wasn't all gravitating to one centralized point that we could all kind of review and correct. share and scrutinize. Correct. And, and the, the Secretary of Defense, as well as others, have uh, made public statements, and we have it as a matter of public record now. And again, you're... I would uh, you know, ask your audience to look at this online, where they are now starting to work towards that endeavor to yeah. centralize this information to make better was sense of it. I thought it was interesting that you mentioned that one of the popes actually, kind of like Thomas Aquinas, hundreds of years before, reconciled, I think, science with religion, uh, only on the Jeffrey Candelaria show. <laughs> uh, the pope was, in his way, trying to reconcile the God that we know is still big enough for, you know, Folks from, I keep saying Zeta Reticuli and planet Earth at the same time. Yeah. And I think that's fascinating. So the other thing I want to talk about as we begin to conclude, configuration of UFOs over the last 70 years, actually longer. I keep thinking of 70 years, but people... <laughs> the have, modern era people is what have, we call it. People have cited UFOs even in biblical times. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we're talking about thousands of years. Sure. But it's always been, over the last 70 years, the disk shape, yeah. you know, the saucer thing, mm -hmm. but really it's the tic-tac that put us over the the credible edge, the tic-tac configuration, but you're fascinated and your focus has been triangular UFOs, yeah. right? so, and that's okay too, because we could be, have, we can continually have been visited and are visited by different, you know, folk or, you know, different configurations, because you have different sources that they're coming from. A absolutely, and it might be just simply a matter of utilitarianism in the, in the sense that the Tic Tac is designed for this type of mission versus the Triangle, which is designed for that type of mission. It's no different than watching cars go by on a road. You see a bulldozer and you see a Fiat drive by and you think, well, those must be driven by two different uh, nationalities of people. Yep. No, it's just <laughs> the bulldozer's there to do a job different than the Fiat. Excellent point. I mean, our own... Our own uh, military. Our own military. You got a commercial airline looks a certain way yeah. versus a helicopter. Sure. You see a Blackhawk you know, helicopter versus you versus know. a Hornet or yeah. whatever you mentioned. Yeah, based on different mission. So again, I just want our audience to recognize the UFO phenomenon is real. Government just admitted it, and it's okay to at the same time concomitantly recognize a triangular UFO. A tic-tac UFO, a saucer UFO, a cigar-shaped UFO, 
it it could all be genuinely credible, notwithstanding what. In other words, it's not just one no. phenomenon. No, and it, and it's not a static phenomenon. And, and by that I mean we are continually getting UFO reports today. And the military, I'm sure, are continuing to collect these reports. And admittedly, you know, we get the table scraps. We get the table crumbs. Uh, if you look at the Pentagon report online, you'll see uh, the, there's two things it lacks. One is detail. It doesn't get into detailed descriptions of particular cases, but it does give you some highlights of some of the trends that they see. The other thing, Jeffrey, and I think we talked about this offline, if you read this report and you didn't know anything about the subject, you would swear this phenomenon began in 2004. Right. Uh, and a, as you've seen firsthand in, in my research collection, we have thousands of case files, military, civilian UFO reports uh, going back decades. And so there's the historical context that I think needs to be brought into the discussion when we're talking about this. And some of the more famous cases, again, Jeffrey Candler, straight talk with Jeffrey Candler, with internationally recognized David Marler, lives right in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Uh, do you mind giving out your any of your contact information? You wrote sure. a book, if you want to, no. our listeners to be aware of that. Sure. Uh, yeah, my book is uh, Triangular UFOs, An Estimate of the Situation, and uh, you can find it on Amazon. But uh, I would just really direct people, if they're interested in more on the research, the history, uh, is my website, which is www.davidmarlerufo.com. There are certain cases that have received maybe more gravitas and attention than others. Obviously, we talked about Roswell. It was a famous case in L.A., mm -hmm. a famous case at the White House, mm -hmm. a famous case, Socorro, yeah. a famous case in England, 1980, famous case, Travis Walton. Of those five or six cases that are extraordinarily studied and, 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 and receive a lot of gravity along this topic, no pun intended, <laughs> Which of those are also, in your mind, extraordinarily credible as well, if not all? Well, I think I think most of those that you, you listed are the one from 1942, the Battle of L.A. I, I'm not bragging, but I've done more research on that. I have more original historical Expand documents. On Expand on Yeah, that. just uh, in the wake of uh, the attack on Pearl Harbor, uh, uh, December 7, 1941, uh, in February of 1942, early morning hours, February 25th, to be specific, we had air raid sirens that were going off uh, throughout California, specifically around the greater Los Angeles area. Now, uh, again, historical context, um, we were prepared and fearing that the Japanese uh, imperial forces were going to make a mainland assault on California at some point. We felt it was just a matter of time after Pearl Harbor. Um, so we had gun emplacements, we had searchlights, we had military personnel stretched all along the California coast, including Los Angeles area. Um, air raid sirens went off, and what, what precipitated that was there was an inbound unknown radar target being tracked on three separate radar systems uh, for 120 miles moving inbound towards the Los Angeles area uh, from the northwest, going northwest to southeast. And this triggered the air raid alert. Air raid sirens start going off. People go into a blackout, and suddenly all of these gun emplacements are peppering the sky with three-inch shells, uh, 50 caliber shells, 37 millimeter shells at an unknown object. There was at least one unknown object that was photographed, tracked on radar, sighted visually. We have I have tons of the original newspaper accounts. I have a copy of the original photograph from the Associated Press uh, from 1942, February 25th. 
And we have the radio broadcast of Byron Palmer, CBS news broadcaster, who described the fact that this object was seen visually by hundreds, if not thousands, tens of thousands of people in the greater Los Angeles area, stretching all the way down to Long Beach. And these people were observing this thing moving in the convergence of searchlights. So you got searchlights converged on it. You have anti-aircraft shells exploding on and all around it. Yet this thing is just moving along uh, completely unscathed. So it wasn't a balloon. It wasn't a dirigible. Configuration? It looked elliptical in shape. Uh, I, you know, I don't want to say flying saucer, but it did have like an ovoid shape to it okay. in general. Uh, and this object moved. It moved inland from Santa Monica. It moved down around the Los Angeles area, then moved down uh, south of Long Beach, where the object disappeared out into the ocean. And it was unscathed despite unscathed. I mean, being pelted by shells. Over 1,200 rounds. 1,200 rounds. Then, then, 20 minutes later, the object, or a similar identical one, comes back, reverses direction from Long Beach, goes inland, goes over the Los Angeles area, and then goes out towards Santa Monica and disappears over the ocean. And just for some historical context, remember that J- Japan had command of the Pacific Ocean at that time because they had just obliterated our most of our aircraft carriers and so forth. At Pearl Harbor. And it, it wasn't until midway that we were able to restabilize exactly. uh, the Pacific Ocean. And many people uh, you know, jump to the conclusion, well, it might have been a, a military aircraft. Well, we're not going to fly a military aircraft during a blackout, and I think we would know our own aircraft. Well, it's not going to survive all that shelling. It's not going to survive all the shelling. It didn't maneuver like an aircraft. The accounts state it moved too slow to be an aircraft. Uh, and we have the official records uh, through, through my friend uh, and re- UFO research historian Barry Greenwood got all the declassified documents. We had no aircraft up at the time. Uh, we only had 45 aircraft defending the West Coast at that period, and they were holding back thinking this might be a reconnaissance aircraft, and they didn't want to deploy our aircraft. They didn't want them to be half out of gasoline before what they anticipated yeah. was going to be an assault. And we also have an official declaration by the Japanese military stating they had no military operations yeah. there. Straight talk with Jeffrey Candelaria, guest internationally recognized uh, UFO researcher David Marler. We're pressed for time. I mention that because I just didn't want folks to get caught up in just the one you know, episode that everybody's aware of, probably Roswell. The other one, very quickly, I think we just have a couple minutes, the one that actually took place over the White House. Yes, yes. Uh, real briefly, two consecutive Saturdays in July of 1952, we had uh, overflights of multiple objects being tracked uh, on radar at, at Washington National Airport, um, where these objects were maneuvering in groups, moving singularly. Uh, jet aircraft were dispatched. At one point, the jet pilot radioed to Washington National that whatever they are, they're all around me. He could visually see them circling his aircraft. At the same time, radar operators could see these UFOs circled around his aircraft being tracked on radar. Um, What's interesting about this is it caused a huge stir. Um, The uh, intelligence apparatus was really at odds to try to explain this. Uh, We thought it might be the Soviets, the Russians, and long story short, it was because of that that then the CIA got involved in looking at UFOs. Once again, David, there's so many angles by which we can review and study and scrutinize this topic. I promise I'm going to have to have you back again as we continue to evolve this phenomenon based on your research and other sightings. Sure. Uh, Straight Talk with Jeffrey Candelaria. Again, your book, real quickly, uh, David. Triangular UFOs, an estimate of the situation. I'd like to thank Eddie Aragon for producing the show. Don't forget, every Saturday, Straight Talk with Jeffrey Candler, 1 to 2 p.m., Kiva, 1600 a.m.